0: Joshua's going to be teaching out of Psalm 78, and if you've got one of the hard uh, black cover Bibles from the back, that can be found on page 488, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning, Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. This is God's word. You may be seated. Amen. Morning, everybody. How's we doing? Anybody wearing something from Christmas currently? Nobody? couple ladies in the back, Taylor. I got my shoes on, everybody's looking sharp. Let's get into, today is going to be a little different. If you're a member here, you know how it normally works. We get in a book of the Bible and we stay there until we're done. Verse by verse, line by line through the book. Today is just a free Sunday in the sense that we don't have something planned. So I'm doing just a topological. I'm just going to talk about a topic for a while. I'm going to obviously use scripture and a biblical worldview. But we're just going to talk about generations today. There arose another generation is repeated throughout the scriptures. It's an interesting, interesting thing. There arose another generation. Um, And how I want us thinking about this is I read a book on church probably two years ago. It's called Total Church. And the author's point was to make us rethink how we view church. Not in like a heretical, let's kick away everything that's ever been done. Let's start new. Bring in the blow-up dolls. All this. Just... Your mindset at church or as a church member. And here's the question that the book asks that has stuck with me ever since. And I want you to think about it. If you were a missionary right now and you were dropped off in Asia or just shipped down the road to Flagstaff or shipped to Canada or California, but your job title was missionary, what would you be doing with your time? How would you spend the bulk of your time, especially on the front end? So here's what I want you doing. It might get a little awkward, especially if you don't know your neighbor. But you and your neighbor or neighbors are going to come up with some answers. You're a missionary. You've been parachuted into a spot. Your job is missionary. What are you going to be doing? I want you to think and talk about it for the next minute or so. About 20 seconds for some great answers, please. All right. Let's hear what we got. Redemption Gateway has just plummeted you all out into the world. You're all missionaries. Shout out some answers. What are you doing with your time, missionary? Learning the language, that would be helpful. Meeting the people, people. nice. Physical labor. labor. Determining their needs, needs. the people who you're ministering to. What was that? (laughs) Going to the bars, meeting every type of person imaginable. Praying to God, Mr. Reeves, nice answer. One man wants God's help and his name is Mr. Reeves. Good job, Joshua. We're praying, but the bulk of those answers are right. Who are these people that I'm supposed to be telling about God? What language do they speak? Where do they spend their time? What are their deep hurts? What are their deep desires? What are their great hopes? Who is this people group in front of me? So that's what we're going to camp out on today. But it's going to be in kind of a unique way. Because as I've thought through this, I think a missionary would be good to have two sorts of vision. The first being microscopic. Meaning, you can zoom in on any situation and kind of dissect it and get to the heart of the matter. Example, your next door neighbor is having a tough, tough time in their marriage. You as a missionary with the gospel of truth, what's the sin behind the sin? Why are there marital issues? Is he too devoted to work? Is she too devoted to this relationship she's found on Facebook? What are their idols? What's causing all this? You can zoom in on a situation and think... Here's how the gospel applies. Get it? That's a microscopic way to look at something. What we're going to do today is different. Binoculars. We all know what binoculars are. I always do this. I ask my son, where are your muscles? And then he goes, I go. I don't see them. I, I can't see them. He's like, da, 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 da. I still can't see them. But binoculars look out. They look far away. So what we're going to do today is look far away. The current generation, specifically the millennial, we'll talk about that. As we look forward to the future, what is this generation looking like and shaping up to be? Is it the worst generation in the history of mankind? Possibly. Is it the great hope of this country? I hope not. Or is it somewhere in between? We're going to look at this generation, but first I want to just dissect your heart a little bit. If you have the Black Bible, go to page 324. We're going to look in 2 Kings 18. And I want to look at two approaches we could take to this generational view of stuff. 2 Kings 18. We're going to be in verse 1 down through verse 6. Let me just recap. Psalm 78, what John read for us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. This is a guy named Asaph saying, everything I know about God, what I'm going to do is spend my life devoted to passing on to the next generation. 2 Kings 18. Let's meet this other king, Hezekiah. And I want you to see how good he is because he really is a great king. Verse 1 here. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So it's a king at 25. He lasts until he's 54. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that David, his father, had done. Here's all that he did. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. All the idols of that time he tore down. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze sermon that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So they have this thing sticking around from Moses' day, and they're worshiping it, which is wrong, and he breaks it down. He trusted, the verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. Who wants to be this guy? He did everything right. He found the idols. He tore them down. He shattered all the false religious hope of the day, and he prospered wherever he went because the good Lord was with him. If you flip over, don't do that. Two pages, it gets towards the end of his life. And Assyria is kind of the group in charge, but this unknown Babylon is starting to become somewhat prominent of a nation. And some people from Babylon go to Israel to meet this king, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, in a moment of just stupidity, no other way to say it, says, oh, yeah, come meet, come meet me. Come see Israel. And he goes and he shows them all that Israel has in terms of treasure and fortune and gold and diamonds. He says, look at all that we have. Look at what we are. The Babylonians leave. He tells the prophet of the day, Isaiah, what happened. Isaiah did. I'm about to prophesize. Here's what's going to happen. Babylon is going to come in. And carry away your sons, take all your stuff, and crush this place. And here's Hezekiah, the good man of God, who followed after the Lord hard. Here's what he says. At least there's going to be peace and security during my time. I was at a teaching conference, and the guy's main point was, we need to teach the youth. Because these kids of today are paying my pension of tomorrow. What's your view of the next generation? Is this group growing up just here to pay your bills as you age? Are you here to pour into the next generation? We tracking? That's what we're talking about today. This next generation that is here, and it's pretty unique. What are we doing with it? Are we just hoping that they don't screw up more and that our bills are paid and we make it to the end of our life so we can say like Hezekiah, at least my life was good, and then die and potentially go to be with the Lord, no doubt, but just waste your elderly years? What a travesty. Here's what we're talking about. The generation game. What is a generation? So the nerds that be, is that Well, well, I'll just give you the generation. There. A group of people born within the same time period. That's deep. Or a group of people defined by significant historical events and their shared behavior. Here's what most generational statisticians, whatever they're called, do. They kind of mix those. So it's the people born during this time but kind of have the shared characteristics from these events going on. So we're just going to walk through and see what generations we got going in here today. And we're going to have a contest and see who the best is. (laughs) Just kidding. Who are the current generations? The GI generation. These people would be 87, 88 years and older. Is there anybody from the GI generation in the room right now? We had one. So this generation is not represented. So we can talk about them. Born between 1904 and 1924. This would be my nana, my last remaining grandparent. She's from this generation. There were about 60 million of these folks. What's special about these guys? The good kids. Playgrounds. Family values. All this good stuff. They were generally known as the good kids. They lived during the roaring 20s. There was more adolescence in schools than out of school during this time. for Probably the first time ever. This is where... The term teenager came from this generation as the Great Depression started later in the 30s. um, There was like a gap between adults who were looking for work, and normally teenagers had just been living on the farm, working with family, and now they kind of separated. Adults were looking for work. Teenagers were kind of lost in limbo. Where do we find work? And FDR passed the National Youth Administration, NYA, and its goal was to get teenagers focused in on by the government. And public high school became a big deal. This is where kind of the teenage culture got its birth. <sighs> Do we regret that? <laughs> JFK came out of this generation. World War I, significant, significant stuff. Next up is the worst named generation ever, the silent generation. Simply because nobody of prominence was around when they were naming it, so they said, uh, silent generation, I don't hear any opposition. 55.4 million. What's going on during this time? Well, let's 1925, so you guys are 88 to 68. Any 68-year-old to 88-year-old people in this room? Wow. All the old folks go to the first service. I like it. <laughs> we got a couple. So we got like four of you. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but here's what went on. There was a Great Depression, I hear, during this time. Big deal. After the Roaring Twenties. Uh, it's the smallest generation, known. Salaries at time were known to drop below $10 a week. It's like not even two Frappuccinos with tax. I mean, (laughs) that's ridiculous. World War II, the huge economic recovery. No US president came from this generation. Tom Brokaw wrote a great book, The Greatest Generation, and he called this generation the greatest generation for what they did after World War II. They got home, they put their work boots on, and they got to work. It's a great generation. And then these guys, the hippies, the boomer generation. Anybody a baby boomer in here? There are 76 million of you. How many of you made it to service today? (laughs) Nice. What's interesting, the baby boomer generation, all the statisticians say is most resembling the current millennial generation, which we'll talk about today. Interesting. Here's what went on during the boomer generation. A lot of stuff. Civil rights movement, sexual revolution, the drug revolution. What's the guy's name? Timothy Leary, I believe his name. Um, Good stuff. Campus Crusade for Christ. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. The Jesus movement. So the boomer generation are the hippies. To heck with everything our parents said. Let's go have some fun. Peace, brother. And then some of these hippies got saved, and then they started doing awesome stuff, like the homeschool movement came out of this, because these folks are passionate. They've got these deep causes that they feel deeply about. They want change. They don't want life to be always the same. They want it better. So they start the civil rights movement, women's rights stuff. Like I said, FCA, all that, Calvary Chapel, all these great Christian organizations have their starts with the boomer generation. Great generation. They have their issues, obviously. But when it comes to what they were about, they were about some good stuff. President Obama came out of this generation. And here's kind of the interesting point, fast-forwarding to today. The boomer generation is the first generation to be heavily marketed by marketing companies. Meaning, what's the teenage group want... Let's design TV shows, commercials, Happy Meals, everything around what this teenage society wants. And let's hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them until their parents buy them everything we want. That started with this generation. Now let's fast forward to pretty inconsequential generation. Generation X, any Xers in the house, 65 to 79. I offended most of you. Nice. What happened here? These are the kids of the boomers. Here's what's interesting. Latchkey kid, the idea of kids being home alone after school because of divorce or two parents working or various reasons started with this generation. Latchkey kids. Mom and dad are off. I'll do what I want for the two hours before they get home. Um, Most of the technology that we really love and enjoy comes from folks from the Generation X. My folks think that we're the technological studs, but we just know how to push the buttons. The older folks are the ones that created all this that we're enjoying. Things like YouTube, Amazon, Google are all started by Gen Xers. All these great, great companies are Gen X thoughts. And millennial, here's where we're going to camp out. This would be... Anyone who's about junior high up to about 32, any millennial, 1980 to the year 2000. Where are my people at? David Hasey, hand up high, be proud. This is the greatest generation <laughs> ever. Taylor Swift. Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Andrus. Most of your staff here are millennials. Come on. This is the generation. Let's, let's jump on board. And for the sake of time, I'm going to unpack this later. But this is what generation I'm talking about. Because the next generation is 2,000 to present day. The oldest one is 12. If you want to talk to them, they're over there with Mark right now. You can talk to them after service. But they are horribly named the always-on generation. Because they've never known an instance of life where there was not technology always on around them what a horrible truth for us parents of little people my sister-in-law has an iPhone and she was letting my two-year-old play and she's like oh my gosh he is such a genius look at him I'm like "Or the technology only requires a two-year-old brain (laughs) probably the latter so there's always something on Kids always wear headphones. Kids always have a screen. Kids are always texting. Always on generation. But for sake of time, we're going to camp out on the millennial generation. Why am I going through this? Why did I decide to teach on this? Two reasons. My teaching career is coming to an end. <sighs> I've had a blast. I've spent about the last decade in different schools. Texas, here, junior high, high school. And I just kind of wanted to synthesize what I've been doing the last few years. Kinda, what, do I, what do I walk away with? And the other reason is this. Your time, my time is short. Paul calls the days evil, and we should be redeeming the time. Let me show you something interesting from the Old Testament. We all know who Adam is. We all know who Noah is. Adam lived up until Noah's dad's day. Noah was alive for 50, I mean, Adam was alive for 56 years during the time of Noah's dad's life. Passing along generational faith looked a lot different in Old Testament times. We've got no people from 1924 before. Our generations are coming and going and dying, coming and going and dying, coming and going and dying, and we get this much time to be intentional. If you fast forward, Noah to Abraham. Noah is alive for the next nine generations. He dies two. This is so interesting. Two years before Abraham. So the guy who saw the greatest judgment on earth to date, the flood, is two years away from meeting the guy who is going to birth the nation of Israel. What's it like to pass along faith in that time? Well, you just talk to your grandpa. He's busy whittling wood. We well, talk to your great grandpa, or your great great grandpa, or great 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 great. You get the point. All these people are around just talking about what God has done. Here we get the little season of life. My mom has 12 grandkids. She's got 30 years of life left or so. She's got 30-year window to focus in on. What is she doing with this? I've got this much of a window to focus in on. Are we going to be like Hezekiah and say, my bills are paid? Or we're going to read Psalm 78 with passion and zeal and realize that there are a lot of kids out there who need a lot of adults, who love them, love Jesus, and need to bring the two together. Amen? So, who are these millennials? That's, we'll just talk about some facts. Here's just a picture of them. This is so beautiful. I was in Starbucks studying, finishing this lesson about a week ago. These two teenagers frolic in, as teenagers do. Get like this giant strawberry frappuccino. I'm like, gosh, if I was your dad, I would slap you. <laughs> the girl sits down. She has her giant java chip frappuccino. and Pulls out her smartphone. Instagram. <laughs> Takes a picture of the drink she's about to drink. Sends it off into the internet for a bunch of other teenagers to go. Oh, Louie's drinking a frappuccino. Let me show what I'm drinking. Wow. <laughs> And the cycle (laughs) continues. That's what we're dealing with. Man, who are they? The facts on them. They are the largest generation in America's history. Low estimates say 80 million. High estimates say 90 million. That's a lot. The baby boomers were in the 70s. The baby boomers like... We'd never seen this much growth before, and the millennials are here, and it's around 90 million. They are big. They are forced to be reckoned with. All marketing today goes to these people, if you haven't noticed. I don't watch rated R movies anymore because they're written for 16-year-old pagans. They are the largest in history. Second, they are the most diverse generation in American history. So back in the GI generation, the silent generation, the Caucasian amount was in the 80s, 80% to 84%. Here's what we have right now. Among the 13-year-olds to 29-year-olds, 19% are Hispanic, 14% are black, 4% are Asian, 3% are mixed, and a record low, 59% are white. And it's not like that's a steady, that's the way it's going to be. These are intersecting. The Caucasian population is doing this, the minority population is doing this. It's extremely diverse. This is the world we've grown up in. Diversity does not scare the millennials. It is what it is. One interesting fact, last election, John McCain lost to Barack Obama. Millennials, so 1980 to the year 2000. 66% voted for Obama. 32% voted for McCain. Now, that's not all that interesting, but when you compare it to the above 30 crowd, it was a 50-49 split. So we got the older generations, half and half Republican, Democrat, the millennials, Obama, McCain. What are the reasons for that? There's lots, but the fact is, it's a diverse generation. What's the last thing we see? They are the least religious generation in American history. You could take this how you want it, good, bad, whatever. It's a fact. Christendom, raise your hand if you know what Christendom is. A few of you. So the Catholic Church used to be the only church until this guy Martin Luther said, let's let's make another church. Christendom was the time when Europe and Western civilization was governed by the church, essentially. So the Pope was in charge. All the rules came through the church. The church created the culture for the society, essentially. Is that still the way it is? Your neighbor down the street, is he governed... By the church, more than likely no. Because it says here, among millennials, 28% say they have no religious affiliation. So getting close to 30%. So before they used to just mark Protestant or whatever. Now there's a slot that says no religion. And more and more, every year, the younger generation is marking, I have no religious affiliation. Now if you're kind of a church rat and you don't get out much, this might not strike you but I teach in public school and I see this I saw this I was teaching a math lesson whatever and the kids were bad so I brought out the Ten Commandments (laughs) and this Canadian kid just a genius said literally I mean he's going to Harvard he's a smart kid what are the Ten Commandments Mr. Watt can you fathom someone not knowing what the Ten Commandments are there's a movie there's it's written twice in this book Parents use it all the time when disciplining. This kid has no idea what the Ten Commandments are. This other girl that I've been evangelizing, evangelizing, evangelizing. I had an interesting moment with her. Um, her boyfriend got baptized in a Spanish church. So I went. we was sitting there singing Spanish worship songs. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. They were all in Spanish. I had no idea what I was singing. She speaks Spanish. Here's what's very interesting. I turned to her. I said, what are we singing? She said, I don't know. Because all the Spanish words were religious words. And she had no idea what the religious Spanish words were that she was singing. Because we have a generation that's not grown up in the church. You can get all fired up and go give your money to Channel 21 and they'll fix it. Or we can be a little more practical and on the ground about it and think about what we're going to do here. But this generation is not religious. getting this? Here's the next kind of way to view millennials, what they want. Very interesting. I love doing this study. I read a few books on millennials. They really want a connected family, including involved parents. So people born 1980 to 2000, myself... And up to 32, 33 year old, up to the current junior hires, really, really, really desire family. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. And they really want involved helicopter-type parents. That's like their thing. My wife was at a baby shower, and she was telling me a story about this young girl who was in her early 20s, talking about getting pregnant. They weren't planning for five years because she was going to get a degree. He was going to start this business. They were going to put a down payment on a house, and then, boom, they were going to get pregnant right here. Yeah, as we all plan out, and then it doesn't work out that way. And she got pregnant the next week. And she's looking at the pregnancy stick. She's just bawling. And She goes and shows her husband and just bawls. And he's like, I got to call my dad. And he runs out of the room to call his dad because what does the millennial generation want? They want their parents, and they need their parents, and they have to ask their parents about everything. And they have to move back in with their parents, and then move out, and then move back in with their parents, and then move out. And then move back in with their parents. And then move their family in with their parents. (laughs) But this is a good thing. They want closeness with people near them. Second thing they want. They want to make a difference in the world. Nine out of ten want to make a difference. What does that mean? I don't know. Do they actually want to do the work? Probably not. Are they as driven as the 60s hippies? Probably not. But they really want to make a difference, as we all do. Life just kind of gets in the way, and money's so shiny, and this is so shiny. We forget about these big dreams we have as little people. What's the other thing? They don't want to be workaholics. This is interesting. Generation X started it. Millennials have continued. There's a trend towards not wanting to be their parents who work themselves to death. work their way up this corporate ladder, but ruined everything else in the meantime. They want... Balance. Now, the older generation can call that lazy. They can say what they want. But they don't want to be 40 years down the road in the job they've always dreamed of, looking down at their family that they don't even know. They'd rather be in some average job looking down at a family that they love and adore. Good thing? Absolutely. They don't want to be workaholics. And this kind of relates to this point. They don't want to be the hippies of the 60s. So the book I read, just called Millennials, it was written by a a guy and his son. The son was a millennial. The dad was a boomer. They said, "Here's how they said it in the book: We are green, but not that green." So green is the environmental movement. You know, my kids always say, "Mr. Watt, you're wasting trees and blah blah." I said, "Whatever, get a job." <laughs> but they're. They're passionate to a point, but really life is pretty good, and their causes and convictions don't run that deep to where it's going to cause that much of a stir for. Where the 60s, to heck with everything, I'm pouring my life into this. That's not the mentality of this current generation. Good, bad, whatever, that's how it is. And this is super interesting and super helpful for the church. Where do millennials need help? They communicate differently than any other generation before them. They would say better, I would disagree, and I'd be right. (laughs) Texting and being constantly connected to a bunch of scattered relationships is not the goal. When the Bible says love your neighbor as you love yourself, it means there's some intention and purpose and passion in the way you communicate to people around you. Not, what are you doing? Nothing. LOL. (laughs) Winky face. Tongue face. Sad face. Do you want a frappuccino? Yeah. Instagram me. Later. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It's true. But they need help in thinking through, okay, how do you respond to an email? Because you should respond to an email. And how do you communicate effectively and use communication for love and not just for taking up time and distracting yourself? And how do you, like, actually go into a new situation and be open to, like, what's around you? Crazy thought. Like, you're not always distracted that you never notice the new environment you're in. They need help with that. They really, really do. I'm one of them. I'm we. The Internet, like, took off with my little sister I thought she was lame. I still think the internet's kind of lame for the most part of the way a lot of it's used, but like the millennials born late 80s, 90s, like texting is the way it is. Old people, that means if you want to communicate, you're gonna have to learn how to text. It doesn't mean they set the tone for how communication happens now. You hear me? No 14-year-old girl is gonna tell me how I'm supposed to communicate with the rest of the grown world. Number two, they are confused financially a lot of ways. They're just, there's a super interesting Costco documentary. My wife was like locked in. It's Christmas Day. We're like trying to open gifts. She's like, shut up. It's about Costco. And here is the whole point of Costco's marketing scheme. We take away all the options. So, they have one thing in ketchup. Granted, there's 14 ketchups in this plastic thing you got to take home, but there's only one of those. And there's one thing of Tylenol this big, but that's your only choice. And my wife loves, and then it finally rang in her head. That's why I love Costco. I don't have to think about all the options. So, our generation, huge missionary opportunity for the older, we are so financially confused. Partially our fault, partially it's just confusing. We're about to drive off a cliff financially. What does it mean? I don't know. you scared? I don't know. But it's a cliff. That sounds scary. (laughs) Holy smokes, a cliff, and like we're just sipping our tea? We're going off a cliff. Nobody cares. We're financially confused. Um, And this is huge, 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 and I hope this sinks in deep with some of you. They desire a mentor in their life. I read this business review. 98% of the millennials in the workforce believe working with a mentor is necessary in their development. So that's regarding work, but that could apply to anything. Young moms, how do you deal with a 2-year-old? Ask the old mom. Young husbands, how do you learn to speak your wife's language? Ask the old guys. They, we really, and I, from my personal, we want a mentor. This is what I love about this church. Luke, Matthew, they... In a very gentle way, they pass along all their wisdom that they've gained. They're only a little bit further than us, but they're wise, and they're gentle, and they love to mentor. It's good stuff, right? I think here's where we'll end on this generation. What is unique about this generation? King Solomon would say nothing because there is nothing new under the sun. So we can't get too worked up thinking we've got to rethink everything we've ever learned about parenting, and rethink everything we've ever learned about communicating, and this generation has now created the mold for which future gen. no, we're selfish, we're lazy, we're ignorant, we're sinners, we're all the same, from Adam to me, we all need a big, big Jesus who died on the cross and lived a great life in our place, it's, it's, it's the same thing being played out over and over again, but here's what's slightly unique about this generation compared to other American generations. So we'll do the Letterman top 10 countdown. Number 10 is, they're not really concerned about health because they're healthy, they're young. They shouldn't be worried about it. Raising kids, so passing on faith might not necessarily be a huge deal. Now, this is probably the younger ones because there's still teenagers in this group. Happiness, 12%. Finances, 12%. Here's what's funny about this generation. Compared to the boomers, boomers kind of generally wanted power and prestige and climbed the ladder. That's the thought. I'm not, But a lot of people agree. We look back and say, we don't want to chase money like our parents. We want this lifestyle that our parents have created. We don't want the money. You want the money because that creates lifestyle. So we're young. Like this nice little lifestyle my dad's been working so long for is because he was chasing money. So you can't have, like, the hippie lifestyle, Mark Zuckerberg's wallet, and not really work for it. You get it? Number six, spiritual matters. Like I said, less and less and less and less spirituality is on their mind. Why? Because we're all naturalists. There was no God. We were monkeys once. Now we're humans. We'll live the best life we can. We'll die. And who cares? Flip a coin what happens afterwards. Number five, spouse-partner a little more important, four, career, job, slightly more, but they'll bounce around. Education is kind of important. Here's just stuck me big time. Number two, friends, 25% of people. Now, when they asked this, it was just an open-ended, what's really important to you? Friends was a quarter of the time, and here's where it should hit a lot of us. 61% said family. So 86% of the people said some sort of relationship that exists right there in their very home or neighborhood or school. What's important to you? This guy and this girl. Well, what about that corporate ladder? This is important to me right here. That's good stuff. Relationships are the key, the goal, the purpose of this world. Relationship with the holy God that we've been separated from. Fixed relationships with each other. This is the goal. And this generation is seeking that. And they're not going to find it in her or him or her or him. They're going to find it in Jesus but we get to get into their lives because they really, really, really want relationships. This is good news, I think. So, how do we respond to this generation? You could be crotchety. This is the worst generation in the history of mankind. You could be Hezekiah. Who cares? Is my Medicare going to be there? You could be Psalm 78. I'm going to tell the coming generation and tell that generation that follows and that generation that follows and that generation that follows. gal that sits up here in the first service, she said, thank you. I was debating whether or not to take Bible boot camp. I'm doing it because I've got grandkids who need to know about God. Amen. How do we respond to this generation? Here's the Watt system of responding to the millennials. Take it or leave it. You should probably take it because it's awesome. Love them, love them, love them. Basic. First Corinthians, love believes all things. It bears all things. It's patient. It's kind. Love. It's not complicated. God set this up pretty simply. Here's the most convicting parenting thing I've ever experienced, and it's only 46 seconds. I want you to enjoy this saw so another family they had like a five-year-old boy holding a helium balloon and he accidentally let go of his balloon the boy started crying and his parents are like why are you crying it's a balloon we'll get you another one i'm like japers grapers folks <laughs> sometimes i don't think adults try hard enough you know to understand what kids are going through you know if you wanted to relate to what is going through imagine if you took your wallet out and it just started floating away <laughs> Why are you acting like that? <laughs> it's a wallet. We'll get you another one. <laughs> I want, I one. <laughs> Hilarious. The older generations have to do the, the bulk of the bearing of the burden for this relationship. Does that make sense? Like, they get to dump on us. If we're the ones dumping on them... My life is so hard. You don't know what it's like to go to cubicle 4C every day. You have no idea. They get to dump on us. We're big boys and girls. We love them. And we get into their head as much as we can. And that's how you love them. Like you love a little kid who lost his balloon. His world is devastated. And you understand that. You get in that world with them. You love them. My wife said, please be practical with love, because church people say love all the time. So here's exactly what I do in my classroom. I've been doing it the same way for seven, eight years now. Here's how I approach relationships with students, because I get new ones every year, sometimes every semester. Easy, easy. Number one, what's their name? Wow. Seriously, names are hard, and some people just use that as an excuse. I'm not a name person. Well, I'm not your friend person. My name's Josh. It means a lot to me. It's the only name I've ever had. You should learn it. Right? So at the start of school, I say, I promise, kids, I'll have your names memorized by Wednesday. And if I don't, I'll have my wife bake you brownies. <laughs> and that's what I've been doing. Every year I've been a teacher because it forces me to have to think, think, think. What's her name? What's her name? What's her name? You start with a name. And then I go to questions with easy answers. You like baseball? No? Moving on, next kid. <laughs> you got video games? You got a dog? How many dogs? What's your dad's name? That's a cool name. Easy answers. And then I start to get some connections and some speaking points. And then I go to questions that are easy to answer but consequential, meaning they have some deep, deep meaning, good or bad. Who do you live with? Mom? Where's dad? I don't know. OK. Two seconds. I know. That kid doesn't have a dad. That's big, big in the kid's life. What's your dad do? He's an engineer? Does he work a lot? Yeah? Like how much? When do you normally see him? About nine? Easy. It's not brain surgery. It just requires you thinking through, I want to get to know this person. And then I ask questions that take some thought. My go-to is, do you believe in Jesus? No? Why not? Let's talk. I'm wired a little differently. You don't have to start with that. But what are some questions you can ask that take some thought? How often do you see your dad? Is it a good time when you see him? Questions that take thought. And you're just asking questions. Older people, ask questions of the youngsters. Get to know them. Start little, because they like to answer questions. And then work your way. But then teenagers, they're kind of too cool, but they still want people in their life. And they'll answer if you're there. And then the last one is compliment, 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 time, time, time. Compliments just aren't given much anymore. My high school girls listen to rap music, which essentially says, you're a piece of meat used for sex, be thrown away, and then another piece of meat will be here. So I stand at the door, and I greet, Hey, Ariana, how you doing? Oh, your hair looks nice today. Well, thank you. Who knows what that does? But how many of you guys would like to be complimented? My gosh, I love it. Words of affirmation is number one on my list for love languages. And then here's an interesting thing with love languages. Every Friday I do a get-to-know-you question in my class, and before Christmas it was, What is your love language? Mr. What's that? Well, you know, physical touch. (laughs) Let me explain. It could be that, but just a pat on the back or a hug. Words of affirmation. Quality time. So I teach around 140, 150 kids. Only two of the kids did not say time. That's a 13-year-old up to an 18-year-old. Time, time, time. What do you mean? I just like to be with my family. What do you mean? I just want to spend time with my dad. Time, 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 every classroom. I was floored. Time. It's not difficult. It takes intentionality. As a teacher, I've got the bell time. It's like five minutes. So I stand at the door and I greet kids. Give them a little bit of time. It's not much. Lunchtime, I get whatever, 37 minutes. I never go to the teacher lounge. I bring a lunch. I sit in my classroom. I open the door. Kids come in there and we just hang out you got to think through, where is your time to be given? As a mom, as a grandma, as an employer, as a boss, where are you going to chunk out time to love this next generation? A very insecure young group who really needs to be loved. Make sense? It's not hard. And then, next point, challenge their assumptions, their worldview, and their thinking. They're still young. I'm still young. All the foolish warnings of Proverbs still apply to us. The youth are foolish. So just because they look adult doesn't mean you don't challenge them in the stuff they think and believe. Oh, you multitask? Interesting. Here's my multitasking lab in class. Come up here. Bring your phone. I want you to text your dad right now. Okay. And then I slap the kid. I thought you could multitask. You can't multitask. There's a study PBS did with Harvard and MIT students. Here, do all this at the same time, MIT, Harvard, grads, all these wonderfully smart people. Oh, by the way, you're pretty average at everything when you try to do it all at once. But when you focus, you're, you're excellent. Challenge them. Are afraid of them? You could beat them up. They're little. They're Challenge them. On texting, on money, on religion. Oh, you don't believe in truth? Why not? Well, there is no truth. Interesting. Do you know what you just said? Challenge them. Sexuality. Why do you believe that that's okay? Challenge them. It's a form of love. It really is. Next one. This one's hard. It takes the whole church. Model and teach them biblical manhood and womanhood. 2 Timothy. Paul's telling uh, Timothy, flee from youthful passions. And he goes through this list of youthful things that you're supposed to flee from. And then he goes down a little bit. Like you've seen in me. Meaning, Paul didn't just ship off some theology book on manhood to Timothy. He said, here's what being a man looks like. Everything you've seen in my life, you go and do likewise. We need tangible examples. We don't need books and pamphlets. We need people, men and women. Amen? Amen. Real men with real mustaches, not little cheesy hipster mustaches. We want to follow real men. (laughs) Right? Last two. Give them messy, beautiful, real pictures of marriage. I'm a millennial, born in 82. The first marriage of a gray-haired couple that I ever saw that I thought, that looks pretty awesome. I was 24 years old had finished college, had finished my grad work. A quarter of a century it took before I thought, that's, I think that's what I want right there. No, I know that's what I want. Marriages just aren't out there. When you leave this church, it's, it doesn't look like this. I know we get stuck in this mentality and we think this is what it looks like. It's messy. We need to rub up against them with good marriages. Messy, because they're messy, but good, real, lasting marriages... And lastly, the world is getting very diverse. Surround them with everyday missionaries. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to memorize the Old Testament. You've got to be able to explain God and sin and Jesus and what faith is and explain it in a way that a fifth grader could understand. We're dealing with lots of religious views coming into this society we live in. We don't need to be complicated. Here's what we believe. Oh, you believe God is this? Here's our God. Basic and bold. Get to the basics. Don't water it down. Get to the point. Be bold. Trust that the Spirit will work. I could end with, and also, tell them about Jesus. I'm not going to do that because for me to have to go and tell you, your job is to tell your kids and your grandkids and the next generation about Jesus just seems goofy to me. Here's the quote I'll end on. You transfer what you treasure. So you're already teaching the next generation. Your treasures, your deepest desires are being transferred to your kids and grandkids. What do you treasure at your very core? If I was to give you a quiz, here's a paper. Write down what you love about Jesus. Would it take time? Would you stress out about it? Or would you say, and you'd get to write. Because he is good. If you don't know why you should be treasured, I'll tell you why. You're a sinner. Horrible, wretched sinner. Good news? Jesus was perfect in your place. And now we get to trust in that and live light in light of that. We get to tell a bunch of insecure people like me who grew up in a weird generation about a perfect God who loves them perfectly. Does that sound like fun? A lot funner than Hezekiah sitting back in his house worrying about his pension. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. More importantly, thank you for just not making it complicated. We're not trying to reach some weird nirvana. We're not trying to understand some weird philosophy that only makes sense to Ph.D. students. We are trying to get to know a person who entered into history and forever changed it. God, I pray that as a church we would be passionate about the next generation. We'd be practical. That we'd love them. Psalm 78, we'd love a generation yet unborn. And we'd pass on this faith. And the only one who is worthy of being our treasure, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.